0: Welcome to Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here today. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Listen, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Second Samuel chapter 9. Second Samuel chapter 9. We're going to Read one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. It's a it's a little known story, but but you'll understand uh, why this is so significant when we read it. This is 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to start at verse 1. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Here's what it says: it says, One day David asked, Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake now let me pause right there just to remind you uh, Saul was the first king of Israel and Saul was unfortunately disobedient to God and he strongly disliked David in fact he tried to kill David on a couple of occasions but but David had a really great friend named Jonathan and Jonathan happened to be Saul's son and so one day we find this story actually in 1 Samuel chapter 20 uh, that Jonathan knows that at some point David is going to be the king. And, and in 1 Samuel 20, they kind of strike up a deal. Uh, Jonathan says to David, listen, if I'm alive when you become king, will you show me kindness? And then he says, and if I'm not alive, will you show kindness to my family? And, and David says yes. And so there's this, this promise of kindness. And so this is what David is remembering. Then it says in verse 2, he summoned a man named Zeba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Zeba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Zeba replied. Then, or the king then asked him, Is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness everybody say God's kindness he says I want to show God's kindness the Hebrew word for kindness there is the Hebrew word chased and it means faithful love or steadfast loving kindness sometimes it's translated goodness or mercy but what it is is it's this extravagant kindness and so David says I want to show them the extravagant kindness of God and so then zebra replied yes One of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. In Lodabar. Ziba told him at the home of Maker, son of Emil. So David sent for him and brought him from Maker's home. His name was Mephibosheth. Everybody say Mephibosheth this morning. Uh, Say it again. Say Mephibosheth. I'm asking you to say that because I'm going to need to repeat that name multiple times in the message, and I'm sure I'm going to mess up, and I don't want you to judge me. You need to see how hard it is. His name was Mephibosheth, which, by the way, means dispeller of shame or out of the mouth of shame. His name is connected with shame. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied I am your servant verse 7 don't be afraid David said I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father Jonathan I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather Saul and you will eat here with me at the king's table. I'll skip a few verses and pick up on the latter part of verse 11. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table like one of the king's own sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. From then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. Isn't that good? So good. The title of the message today is guess who's coming to dinner. Guess who's coming to dinner. How many of you have, have ever done something really, really embarrassing? Let me see your hands. Like really embarrassing. Like so embarrassing that uh, you hoped it was a bad dream. You, so embarrassing that you hoped maybe God would rapture you before you had to explain. Anybody done, done that? A, a couple of months ago, I did that. I had a really embarrassing experience. Uh, It was the beginning of my last semester in graduate school and uh, we had on that particular day an all day lecture from nine to five. And unfortunately, I wasn't feeling well. And so I reached out to my professor and told him I wasn't feeling well but I would join the class via Zoom. And uh, several of my other classmates couldn't actually make it to the class either, and so uh, half of us were in the class in person, and the other half uh, we were all on on Zoom. And so I did pretty well until after lunch. Okay, after lunch I decide I want to take a shower. Now, now I don't know about you, showers make me feel better. Anybody else out there like that? Like they just make me feel better. So I think okay, I'm not feeling great. I want to take a shower. The problem is is that I'm a committed student. So what I decided to do is I said, listen, I, I, I want to continue to listen to my professor. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my laptop from the bedroom into the bathroom. Some of you know where this is going. And so, so I turn off the video and I mute my volume. And I pick up my laptop and I take it into the bathroom and I set it on the outside of my shower so that I can continue to watch the video while I'm showering. <sighs> so, so I get into the shower. And, and listen, church, I go to town. Okay. I mean, I'm a dub it. i am making sure I'm so fresh and so clean, clean. Like I am taking care of things in there. And all of a sudden my professor says something. And I think I want to go see what he's talking about. And I'll never forget, I walk over and I look at the screen and and I have this this moment, this this question enters into my mind. And the answer to this question has significant implications. And here was the question. As I'm looking at the screen, is that my belly on the screen right now? True true story, Is, is that my belly on the screen right now? Um, unfortunately at some point between the transportation of the laptop and from my bedroom into the bathroom I accidentally turned the video back on I found out from my classmates later that what they kept seeing was my belly come in and out the picture in and out the picture I'm so thankful to God that's all they saw is that my belly on the screen right now when we pick up this story about David David is at the climax of his kingdom. He is enjoying peace from his enemies, prosperity in the land, and now he has a moment to pause. And as he pauses, he he begins to grapple with a question that has significant implications. And here's his question. Is there anyone in Saul's family still alive that I can show Kindness to the kindness of God to the the answer to this question and the actions that follow. Communicate something magnificent about the heart of God. And, and I believe this morning is if, if we can understand what this story communicates about the heart of God, it will absolutely transform our lives. And so I want to talk about that today. In fact, before I get into uh, helping us understand what this story communicates about the heart of God, I want to make sure I highlight at the very beginning what this story communicates about humanity. And so if you're taking notes today, point number one is this. We're all crippled. We're all crippled. Now, I, I want to be I want to be sensitive when I say that because I know that, that there are some of us that are literally, in a physical sense, crippled. But, but I want to suggest to you today that no matter what your physical condition is, because of sin, we are all inwardly crippled. That, that There is a, a sense of brokenness, if you will, a sense of, of, of weakness in a certain area, a level of dysfunction. In other words, there is something wrong. Something wrong. And in fact, uh, a couple of uh, months ago, I was uh, on a bike ride with my two-year-old daughter and her name is Jordan, okay? And what you have to know about Jordan is that she thinks she's the boss of everyone. Literally, she thinks she's the boss of everyone. And so this particular day, we are on a bike ride. And let me be clear, um, I have an attachment that connects to my bike. And so basically what happens is I pull her around everywhere, which only adds to the fact that she thinks she's the boss of everyone. But, but this particular day, we are riding around the neighborhood, and uh, we see one of the parks in our, in our neighborhood. And my two-year-old daughter, Jordan, yells out, she says, Daddy, I want to go to the park today. And I say in response to that, baby, I don't think we're going to go to the park today. And then she says very matter-of-factly back, she says, I think we are going to the park today. I remember thinking, you're cute, but something's wrong. Something, something's wrong here. You see, here's how David says it. This is Psalm 51, verse 5. He says, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. In other words, from birth I was broken because of sin." Paul actually expounds on this in Romans 3.23. He says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And so we're we're born, broken, born into sin. But then not only that, things are exacerbated by the choices that we make. But then there's another category. And, and, And this is the category that highlights Mephibosheth's story. Because not only are we, broken from birth, not only do we exacerbate things because of the choices we make, but sometimes it's because of the choices that others make for us. You see, the, the, the story of Mephibosheth, really the origin story of his lameness, is found in 2 Samuel chapter 4. And in 2 Samuel chapter 4, we find out that Mephibosheth, when he was five years old, his nurse hears that both his grandfather and his father, Jonathan, are killed on the same day in a battle with the Philistines. And so this message makes its way from Jezreel to the nurse, and when she hears that his grandfather and his father are dead in an effort to save his life, she picks up five-year-old Mephibosheth, and she takes off to get him out of the house to safety. Unfortunately, and the Bible doesn't give us all the details, but at some point, she dropped him. She dropped him, and the way in which he landed created irreparable damage to his feet and his legs. And from five years old on, he could never walk again. I wonder if in our honest moments, some of us would say, yeah, I've been dropped. I've been dropped. That someone made a choice for me. He left the relationship. She walked out they said this, and the truth is, you feel dropped. That you are experiencing brokenness because of the choice someone else made. That, that's where Mephibosheth is. And, and what's interesting is that in the story of Mephibosheth, uh, uh, when we read the story, uh, the word crippled is used Twice. She twice in the story that I read you. At the very end, it describes him, and at the very beginning, it describes him. What's interesting about that, though, in the Hebrew language, the word translated crippled at the end of the story is different than the one at the beginning. The one at the end speaks solely to a physical condition of lameness. The one at the beginning, however, has an additional meaning. See, this particular Hebrew word, is a Hebrew word, nakah. And and nakah is used three times in the Old Testament. Once it's translated contrite in Isaiah, and then twice it's used to describe Mephibosheth at the beginning of his story in the passage we just read and in 2 Samuel chapter 4. Here's what nakah literally means. It means maimed from a literal standpoint and then dejected, from a figurative standpoint, why would God use two different words to describe Mephibosheth? I'll tell you one reason. At the beginning of this story, I think he wants us to understand something. Not only does he have a physical condition, he also has an inward condition. Yes, he's, he's physically crippled, but internally he's crippled as well. He is dejected. Let me remind you what Dejected means, there is this sense when you are dejected that you are sad or or disappointed or depressed because of failure or loss. And if anyone had experienced failure and loss, it was Mephibosheth. He lost his father. He lost his grandfather. He lost his ability to walk. He lost his family. He is dejected. here's the great news, church. Our brokenness does not ban us from the king. Our brokenness actually creates the conditions for us to experience the king's kindness. Come on. Our brokenness, your brokenness, my brokenness, our dysfunction, our weakness, it does not ban us from the king. It actually creates the conditions for us to experience the king's kindness. And listen, we serve a kind king. In fact, if you're taking notes, that's point number two. The king is kind. The king is kind. Now remember, this is David showing the kindness of God. So we're talking about God here. The king is kind. Now under this, I have three subpoints, points. And uh, these are really just expressions of the kindness of the king that we see in the text. Here's sub point A. The kindness of the king removes our fear the kindness of the king removes our fear I actually uh, believe it or not used to play college football and the reason why I say believe it or not is because I am technically five foot five and three-fourths of an inch tall okay that's not funny some folks are laughing this and and so when people see my stature Uh, They think okay, there's no way you played college football and and then they automatically assume that I was a running back Okay, I must have been a running back and I ran around the field with the ball And then I tell them no I was actually a a wide receiver And then they're shocked again because wide receivers are usually very tall and long and they catch the football And and so then they assume when they see me they said okay if you played wide receiver Then you must have been fast and I tell them well, no, I wasn't fast They said well, how'd you do it? I said well, I, I wasn't fast, but here's the deal um Because of my size, here's what I understood. My my teammates, they ran for the end zone. I ran for my life. I was actually scared, okay? So that's why I was able to play. I played scared. The reality is, is that when we see Mephibosheth here, Mephibosheth is scared. This is why that the very first thing that that David says to him in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 7, is don't be afraid. And here's why Mephibosheth is scared. Because Mephibosheth understands in that culture what new kings do. When a new king assumed the throne, what they would generally do is eradicate all of the previous kings' relatives because they did not want to have any chance for a rival or revolt. And so they would kill them all. And so here's what happens when David summons Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth thinks this is it. I mean, he's hugging his homeboys. He's waving. This is it, fellas. I'm done. The king has summoned me. And so when he gets into the king's presence, he is petrified because he thinks, I'm dead. And then we see this beautiful expression of the kindness of the king who says, the first thing I want to do, Mephibosheth, is I want to remove your fear. I want to remove your fear. Here's what's interesting about fear. Often what fear does is it will take a situation or a circumstance in our lives and it will play it forward in our minds. And it plays it forward with an outcome that is always void of God. Fear takes a situation in your life, a situation in my life, and it will play it forward with an outcome that is always void of God. In other words, fear paints a picture of your future and God is always missing. Here's the problem with that, though. If you're a believer, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In other words, there is no version of your future that God is not in. And if God's in your future, his goodness is in your future. If God's in your future, his faithfulness is in your future. If God's in your future, his kindness is in your future. So he says to him, I'm going to remove the fear. Because of the kindness. In fact, I, I, I love how Zephaniah says this. This is Zephaniah chapter three, verse seventeen. It says, "For the Lord your God is living among you. He, He's there. He's present. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With His love, He will calm all your fears." First John 4, 18 says it like this, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. It's as if the Bible is saying to us that the remedy for our fear is not that we need to fight harder. The remedy for our fear is a revelation of the love and kindness of God. That's what we need. And so I don't know today what fear you're wrestling with. I don't know what future the enemy has tried to paint for you. But what you need today is not to fight harder. What you need is a revelation of the love and kindness of God. The kindness of the king removes our fear. Here's the second thing that does. The kindness of the king restores our land. The kindness of the king restores our land. Let me, let me finish the Zoom story for you. Some of you are like, I don't ever want to even hear that again. Others are like, I I need to hear the end of it, so let me help you. So I realize on that very same day, after all this has transpired, that my professor is recording this particular lecture because he's going to send this out to all of the classmates so that we can watch it over and over again to prepare for our exam. Well, I think I can't let this happen. I, I, there's no way I can let them. I mean, the 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 stories, how this is going to make it on YouTube. Like, I can't do it. Can't do it. So I call my professor. His name is is uh, Dr. Jeremy, and I call Dr. Jeremy in the middle of a break for class. And I'm like, Hey, um, this is uh, this is one of the most embarrassing phone calls I've ever had to make. But I got I got to let you know something, Dr. Jeremy. Um, you know. In class today, while you were pouring out your heart uh, on um, contemporary, uh, engaging contemporary culture and apologetics, um, I need to apologize to you because you probably saw me in the background streaking, okay? And I, I just need to tell you, I'm, I'm really sorry about that, but you, you, you got to get rid of the recording. Now, not only that, is I realize that the rest of the week, we still have nine to five lectures, and I'm going to be on Zoom. I don't want to show my face like they've seen my belly. I don't want to show my face. And so literally, I'm struggling with, can I ever even jump back on the Zoom? I just want to hide away. This is, this is descriptive in some ways of where Mephibosheth is when he is summoned. Because the scripture tells us that he is in low Debar, Low Debar. Lodabar is actually on the east side of the Jordan River and it literally means pastureless. It is in essence the land of nothing. The only reason why an Israelite would be on the east side of the Jordan in a pastureless land known as the land of nothing is because they were hiding. Mephibosheth didn't want to be found. And so when he's summoned to the king, he comes in to the king's presence and the king says something remarkable. I'm going to restore to you the land that belonged to your grandfather. Wow. Instantly, a man who lived in the land of nothing Instantly, a man who was poor. Instantly, a man who had no community. Instantly, now own land in the promised land. He he is now wealthy, and he is now a part of community. A man who was poor now has wealth. A man who was ostracized now belongs to community. Why? Simply because the kindness of the king restores our land. See, God wants us to understand that, that he is a restorer. Here's what uh, Psalm 23, verse 3, in case you need uh, restoring today, it says, he restores my soul. I don't know about you, but, but in these last couple of years, I've needed the restoration of my soul. I love this verse. This is Hosea chapter 2, verse 15. He says, I will return her vineyards to her, In other words, I'm going to restore the vineyards. And then he says, and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. In other words, I'm going to take the low place, the dark place, the valley, and I'm going to transform it into an entryway, a doorway, a gateway of hope, because I restore. So now I don't know where you are today, but some of us, we need our, soul, our souls restored. Some of us, we, we need our marriages restored. Some of us, we need our hopes restored. The kindness of the king restores our land. Here's number three, sub-point sub number three. The kindness of the king requests our presence. The kindness of the king requests our presence I remember the the first time that uh, my wife invited me over for dinner and this was uh, before she was my wife this was before we were even dating this was before she even liked me okay um and in fact our relationship started off this way I liked her but she didn't like me anybody else ever been in in that yeah yeah I see one brother in the front yeah that was me brother um, yeah, there, there, there was just, you know, it's hard when there's no reciprocity, you know what I'm saying? And, and so, in fact, I remember the day that I decided to call her and to express my undying love and affection for her. And it didn't go well. It was it was a rough go. But I remember I, I picked up the phone and and I called her and I put on my best slow jam R&B voice. I said, hey, girl. And I move into this space where I'm starting to tell her how I feel about her, and uh, she, she didn't feel the same way, and she made that really clear. In fact, in fact, it was so clear that I decided to summarize back to her what she said to me. I said, "Okay, so what you're saying is this: um, you're not ready for a relationship, and even if you were, you don't know if it would be me." And she said, yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Now, now for normal people, a statement like that would be a deterrent, but for me, what I heard in my head was, so you're saying there's a chance. I, I, got, a, I got a shot, I got a shot here. And so, so you can imagine then how a couple days later when I received this random text from her inviting me over for dinner, I was so elated. I mean, I was shouting for joy, thanking Jesus. I mean, like I was giving online. It was great, it was great. The, the problem was, though, that when I showed up to her house, I found out something. I found out that her younger sister had come in town from college, and her younger sister had heard about me and decided she wanted to find out who this guy was, and so she stole her sister's phone and texted me. Can, can you imagine what dinner was like that that night? Uh... David says to Mephibosheth, he says, I I want you to eat at my table. I want you to eat at my table. Now, this this was a great honor. But but this meant so many things. First of all, there's, there's a man now who was really at the bottom of the totem pole in society, eating at the king's table. He has been ostracized, rejected, and yet now he is in the in-group, if you will. He's not only in the in-group, but, but he is also now in the no because he sits at the king's table and he hears the discussions. Not only, though, is he in the no, he's also influential because now he has the king's ear. So you've got this guy, that one statement from the king, I want you to join me at my table. He is now in-group in the know and influential. But that's not even the biggest thing because the scripture tells us that David said, I want you to eat at my table like my own sons. It's as David is saying, in a way, I'm adopting you into my family. I'm going to treat you like one of my sons. Now, this is, this is incredible, church. You've got to think about this progression. When we first meet Mephibosheth at five years old, he is an orphan. His father is dead. We don't hear anything about his mother. He, he's an orphan. When he speaks to David, his very first statement is, I am your servant. Now, that was a statement of honor. It's not wrong. It's not bad. But he said, I'm a servant. But David clearly isn't satisfied with him being an orphan or simply a servant. He says, I'm going to treat you like a son. I'm going to treat you like a son. Now, I've got to be honest with you. This revelation is something I have struggled with and vacillated through in my life. I know that John 1.12 says that those who believe in him, they have the right to become sons and daughters of God. I know I'm a child of God, but I struggle sometimes. And I struggle with operating like an orphan, operating like a servant, and then operating like a son. See, the Bible says in John 14, verse 18, in speaking about orphans, this is is Jesus. He says, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Here's how orphans often feel. They often feel abandoned. They, they, they don't have a family. There's no place to, to belong. And so what can happen is that as an orphan, we can perform with the posture of heart that says, pick me. I want a place to belong. I want a family. I want a group. So, so if I perform well enough, you will pick me. And let me tell you something, sometimes I operate there. And then, and then there's the servant, And here's what Jesus, when he he talks about uh, slaves and servants, he says, a slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. Even in Luke chapter 5, verse 19, when, when the scripture, when the prodigal son comes to himself, remember this? And he says, I'm going to go home. He doesn't think he can go home as a son. He says, I'm going to go back as one of my father's hired servants. A hired servant was a wage earner. In other words, I'm going to earn my spot. I I can't be in the family, but I can be around the family. As long as I perform well enough, they'll keep me around. So if an orphan will operate from pick me, a servant will operate from keep me. Keep me. Now, now I understand that the Bible has called us all to a place of servanthood, but there's a difference in serving, there's a difference in serving from something and serving for something. I, I can serve from a place of being a son and not serve for sonship. See, as a servant, I'll operate in this space of keep me. But then there is the sun. And the sun doesn't perform saying, "Pick me." The sun doesn't perform saying, "Keep me." The sun actually produces from a place that's simply grateful me. I am not performing for a position. I'm producing from a position. I am a sun. I am. A daughter, and that is not about my performance. It has everything to do about my father. The, the Lord has has really been gracious to me because this is something I've wrestled with a lot. And He is He has used different moments to really help me move from this place of operating like an orphan or simply a servant and moving into sonship, and one of the ways he did that was last year, I um, had a conversation with my son, so I have an eight-year-old little girl named Judah, six-year-old son named Jaden, two-year-old little girl named Jordan, and a one-year-old son named Justice, and so uh, I was last year, there's so many J's, guys, it gets complicated. Um, Last year, I'm in the car with Jaden. This is after one of his soccer games, And, and so I'm driving home. Is actually me and my father, and then Jaden is sitting in the back. And, uh, and Jaden, all of a sudden, as we're driving home, he says, hey, Daddy, I scored a goal today. Now, now the problem with that is I was at the game, and I didn't see it, okay? And, and so I'm looking at my dad. My dad's looking at me, and I'm, I'm like, you, you did? And he said, yeah, I scored a goal today. I said, really, Jaden? I, I didn't see that, and none of the parents came up to me to congratulate. Like, I, I don't know. I said, so you scored a goal? He's like, yeah, I scored a goal today. So then I said, okay, Jaden. I'm going to ask you one more time. Did you score a goal today? And I want you to tell me the truth. And so I asked him, and he drops his head. And he says, no, I didn't, Daddy. So I said, well, I want to ask you another question. I said, Jaden, can you, can you tell me why you told Daddy you scored a goal today? And I'll never forget what he said. With his head down, he says, well, Daddy, I just wanted you to be proud of me. And church, it wrecked me. wrecked me. And here's why it wrecked me. I'm I'm trying to be a good father and listen, I'm trying to love my kids well and the last thing I wanted my son to think was that the only reason my daddy was going to be proud of him was for his performance. So I said to him, I said, son, first of all if I've done something to make you feel like that's the only way daddy's going to be proud of you, I need to tell you I am so sorry. I'm so sorry, but then I was also wrecked because here's what I knew about me. I knew that I spent a lot of my life trying to score goals for Jesus, hoping that one day he would pick me, hoping one day he would keep me, hoping one day that he would accept me because of my performance. And God in his goodness showed me, said Jelani, as a loving father, the last thing you want for your son. Yes, you'll be proud of him because of things that he does, and you should be, that's not bad. But the basis of the pleasure that he brings you is not his performance. It's because he's your son. And the basis, Jelani, that brings me pleasure from you is not because of your performance. It's because you are my son. Here's what Titus chapter three, verse four and five says, but when God, our savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. First John three, three, see how very much our father loves us for he calls us children And that is what we are. Church, the kindness of the king removes our fear. The kindness of the king restores our land. And the kindness of the king requests our presence. We are invited to the table, not because of what we've done, but because of what our heavenly father did. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to ask you the question that Pastor Ethan and Pastor Elaine asks every weekend, and that is, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you in this message? And for some of you, there's a fear that God's saying, hey, I want you to get a revelation of my kindness and my love. Let me deal with that. Uh, For some of you, there's some things you need restored in your life, and he's he's speaking to you saying, I'm a restorer. For some of you, today, it, it is this thing about sonship or daughtership that God's saying, listen, stop performing for me and just receive the fact and rest in the fact that you're my son or my daughter and then maybe even for some of you today you need to take that step and being adopted in the family of God and simply, the Bible says receive salvation or being born again, being adopted into his family we simply admit that we've sinned we believe that Jesus died for us We choose to surrender our lives to him. Whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking to you in a moment, we're going to go back into a worship song. And as we worship, we're going to have our prayer team down here at the front. And we're all going to stand up right after I finish praying a simple prayer. But when we stand up, we'll move into that worship song. But our prayer leaders will be at the front. And if you have any need today, it could be related to the message or it has nothing to do with the message. Whatever. God is speaking to you about, we want to pray with you today. You don't need to be embarrassed. This is what church is about. We want to pray with you. And so when I finish this simple prayer, I just want to invite everyone to stand. Our prayer team will come forward. And if you have a need, please come forward. We want to pray with you. Father, thank you for your word today. And I pray you'd give courage to everyone that has a need to come forward and receive prayer in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. joining us today. If you live in the Houston area or are in town for a visit, we would like to invite you to join us for a service. For service times and location, or more information about Gateway Church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Have a blessed week.